Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Today's scripture comes from Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 42. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep awake one hour? Keep awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And once more he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to say to him. He came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The word of God for the people of God. Oh, hello. Good morning. Again, I'm going to move this. My name is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I serve as the interim site pastor here at Urban Village Church Edgewater, and I am so glad you are here. Will you pray with me? God who reunites and reunifies this world. There are so many things that try and tear us apart as human beings, whether it's barriers to relationship, whether it's the pervasive messages of anti-Black and anti-queer. But you, God, have called us into this space to uplift each other, to yell and to snap and clap along celebrating the young and gifted and black, or maybe the older and gifted and black among us, to celebrate the brown and the queer, the young and the old in this space. Because by lifting one another up and speaking those truths into each other's lives, we are living out that Christian friendship you have called us to. To be present with one another, to remind one another of our belovedness. And so we offer this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus is on his knees with his head pressed to the earth. 
Just a few chapters prior, he was the one with his cloak dripping like axe body spray with a stench of the kingdom of God. So much so that a people smelled a waft of it, just a little touch of his cloak, they would be healed. This is the same Jesus who with a peaceful presence would just walk past choppy waters and calm the storm. While this is the same Jesus who casts out demons and feeds 5,000 hungry people, this is the Jesus with the power to make this hour pass, but does not prevent his own suffering. For all his glory, this Jesus suffers. He suffers the recognition of his eventual death. He's predicted this death, let's just be honest, several times in the Gospel of Mark. Just a few hours, he had broken bread with them and said, this is my body, and poured out the cup and said, this is my blood. He knew what was to come. Just as he knew all along what was to, to occur, Jesus till, still takes this chance of bargaining with God. Can you give me a holy psych from heaven, dear father? And so knowing that the end was near, Jesus pulls aside his besties, those that share the BFF bracelet with him. Peter, James, and John, this is Jesus's gaggle, his ride or die friends. And he wants them, they had before witnessed his blinged out transformation on a mountaintop. He now needs them so close And the only thing he can say is, stay, don't leave me. In his most fearful time, Jesus does the thing that tired, fearful young children do before bedtime. In this most fearful time, Jesus does the thing that worried lovers do. And he says, stay, don't leave me. Jesus, not wanting them to see his tear-stained cheeks, retreats around a corner. After all, the Son of Man cannot be seen throwing a fit. So behind his protection of a bushel of trees, Jesus wails silently. That deep, deep ache of a stifled cry, not wanting people to hear you, but you can't seem to stop yourself. And then returning from behind his hiding place with red stains filling the whites of his eyes and puffy tissue building up around his face, Jesus returns to find his followers, those he calls friends, asleep. And in his vengeful grief, he snaps. Pray that you might not be tempted to sell your soul for wealth and power. And disappointed by his buddies. Jesus leaves in a huff. He stomps off to do some more praying and bargaining with God. Take this cup from me. Returning to his friends, he finds them asleep again. Maybe his voice is like a clap of thunder as if the son of God crying out and Jesus scares the be Jesus out of his friends once again. And then this happens for a third time, you know, biblical threes, repetition. And having almost given up, he shrugs. Enough. There once was enough food to feed many, and now there are not enough hours in the day. Enough. Let's go. There are, I don't know if you know this, four gospels, four accounts of Jesus's life. 
of death and resurrection, communicating this new way for us to understand this mysterious and miraculous God incarnate. And so Mark's gospel, which is actually the earliest gospel, tells the story of the human Jesus, the suffering Jesus, the Jewish, brown, poor human man in a particular place, a place which was occupied and colonized by the Roman Empire at a particular time when Roman leaders feared the rumblings of those lowly people, uh, the least powerful in the system. And so the Jesus of Mark's gospel decides to be baptized. This political statement that all are one in God's kingdom, that even the son of God is also the son of man. And so all are beloved by God, no matter who they are or where they've come from. Jesus' experience of human feelings, of fear and suffering and death are displayed for us, the readers, because, I don't know if you know this, I hate to spoil it for you, but suffering is universal. Jesus gets angry. Jesus is saddened and disappointed with his disciples, not only in this passage, but all throughout Mark's gospel. We see this range of emotions, cursing fig trees to die. But in today's passage, Jesus pleads for a different outcome from God, fearing, quaking from the suffering that is to come. The Jesus of Mark's gospel is the suffering servant, the God willing to die in the flesh to show us that suffering is real and not something which we should turn a blind eye to. And so we're meant to sympathize with the Jesus as he cries alone in the garden and struggles with his closest crew members with their chronic sleepiness. We've been doing a sermon series for the last few weeks on friendship, talking about what it means to be Christians and to be involved in each other's lives, to call each other friend, for have God to call us friend. But our sermon this morning is about the barriers to friendship, because there are things, structural systems, cultural barriers, and cosmic things that are trying to keep us from being in relationship with one another. There are there is an economy and corporate greed that tries to squeeze extra profits out of all of us, causing us to work harder and longer hours simply to make ends meet, simply to keep our head above water, simply to keep the job we have or the multiple jobs we have, causing us fatigue so that there isn't even time for friendship. There's also this current climate of disrespect or distrust that is set by world leaders And we struggle to trust and build relationship with people who are different from us, those who have different political beliefs than us, those who read the Bible differently than us, and those who look different from us. These are real things that try and keep us apart from one another. They exhaust us, these barriers. They burden us. And the stress and fear of maintaining, it keeps us from maintaining and growing new friendships. And then there's sleep. Does anybody like sleep? My favorite place is my bed. And no, this is, we're not actually talking about sleep, although Jesus is talking about the sleep in the garden of his disciples, but we're also talking about the 
the metaphorical sleepiness of selfishness, of pride, of gossip, and of shame. These actions and emotions prevent us from reaching out to one another, from following up when our friend says they need help, from texting each other, trying to stay close in long distance. Jesus desperately needed his friends at this time just to stay close and be present, and all they could do was fall asleep. He didn't expect them to have something profound to say. He knew they were a befuddled mess of human creatures. He had seen that time and time again, but Jesus wanted some empathy, some emotional intelligence to bear witness to his time of great anguish. He wanted somebody to simply say, your suffering is real. I uh, spent my first year in seminary at a school where I did not fit in. (laughs) I did not make many friends because nobody seemed to understand me or where I was coming from or this call to ministry that I was trying to figure out, but I knew was there. And so in my first year of seminary, they set you up in these cohorts of first-year students, and we all sit around a table gathering to talk about what does ministry mean and how the hell do I know this woman who was told, who felt a call to God, but was told by every person in her life, women can't preach. And so I don't know what I'm doing here. And we go around the circle and people are talking about great times. The question was, when did you feel like you were ministering to someone? I don't know. Do I have to? Is that a prerequisite to get into school? That wasn't on my application essay. And so we're going around this circle and people start saying really profound, beautiful things about when they offered communion to someone who was homebound or tied up or in the hospital, when they presided over a funeral and they felt deeply connected to God and the family. And then they all turned their eyes towards me, this young woman who was told her whole life she couldn't be a minister. And all I could do was take a deep breath and say, I have this story. I was new in seminary. I'd just come out of college and I was with my college friends at a party. You know, one of those parties where you're at somebody's house and it smells disgusting because a whole bunch of nasty people live there, but they always on Saturday nights invite everybody over for a huge party. And the lights are out and there's strobes going and we're all dancing and grooving to the music. And I'm with my best friends from college. It's so late in the evening and we've all had too many beers, but we're having so much fun. And my best friend is there. We both had just broken up with our significant others from a really long time. Like we had been dating these people since high school and we were now free and liberated, but also broken hearted. And so we danced together. And my best friend from college sees her ex-boyfriend across the dance floor, dancing with his new girlfriend. They had only been broken up a few weeks. They had been together for almost eight years. And only a few weeks later, he's got this another piece on his arm, dancing and grooving with her instead. And all my friend could do was crumble on the dance floor. You know, that really awkward time when you're surrounded by all this kind of nastiness in this party-filled house and you're just holding your beer tightly so that no one sees you and you fall in on yourself crying. And all I could do was be a witness to her tears, grab her by the shoulders, 
pull her in tight and stroke her hair and her back. Just say, shh. You are a strong, confident woman. I told this story to my seminary class and they all said, that's not ministry. That's just being a friend. And I said, fork that. You do not tell me when God shows up in my life and I come to be the holy presence of God when somebody is suffering. It is important that we be present for people's tears and their pain. And this is the honorable and holy moment when God shows up. I didn't stay long at that seminary because I didn't quite fit in. but I knew what God had called me to be this holy presence in someone else's life. And this is all that Jesus is looking for from his disciples. And you know what? They can't do it. The stress of the moment, the fear of their own fear of losing their leader is so big and so shameful that they fall asleep. It's kind of like uh, narcolepsy. Have you ever met someone with narcolepsy and they get so stressed out, they just fall asleep randomly because they're so worried about what is to come. I think it was spiritual narcolepsy they were feeling, but the, the truth is disciples couldn't do it, couldn't be present for God in God's most hour of need. And we tell that story because it's real, because we fail each other often. There are times when my friend texts and I don't text back and then she calls and I fail to call back and then I call back and I leave a lame message saying, hi, I'm just calling. What are you supposed to do with that? We fail each other regularly because we are human, because we are a mess, but we are also called to be the holy presence of God in people's midst in times of suffering. Some say that, some scholars say that Jesus was warning the disciples to be spiritually awake, constantly on the lookout for people who are suffering, people who feel rejected, people who need a shoulder to cry on. And so he's reminding them, don't give up, stay awake. And you know what the beautiful part about the gospel is? The powerful thing about this Jesus who can heal those who are sick, who can restore sight to the blind and who can feed thousands. This same Jesus with this great power can also say, you're forgiven. You're going to F up and that's not the end of your story. You're going to fail me and I'm going to say, enough. Come on, let's go. I've got more work to do. And upon his resurrection, he comes back to these disciples who have also denied him since his death. And he says, friends, go and tell other people the good news. You are still trusted. You are still beloved. You are still good. And so this is the power of the gospel is that when we fail each other, not just because systems try and hold us apart, but because we forget to text back or because we're so caught in our own shame or in our own ignorance or because we don't know what to do. We are forgiven and called to be in deeper relationship with God. And this is what we do for one another as a community to come and say, I'm sorry, I haven't been a good friend lately. To come and say, I see that you're suffering and I am here to bear witness.
because it is a healing, holy thing we do. We actually, church, are a church of people who are hurt. And you know the saying, hurt people hurt people? No, that's not true. Because here in Christian friendship, what hurt people can do is heal people. And so as a community, we are called as hurt people to heal each other and to heal others through the power of friendship. Just as God has called us friends. Will you pray with me? God, you forgive us for the harsh words that we say. You forgive us for the shady comments we throw at each other and you forgive us for the gossip we participate in and you forgive us, God, when we fail to be present for one another. And so, God, we ask that you continue to store up in us courage to show up, to be present, to bear witness to one another's burdens, to remind and uplift one another that we are beloved children that we are more than our failures, that we are loved by you. And so, God, we offer ourselves and our community to you. May we grow ever increasingly in the image of Jesus, our brother and our friend. It's in his name we pray. Amen.